Hi, my name is Tim, and you're listening to Dow Talks. In every episode, I sit down with my Web3 leading guests and demystify decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, and share the builder's stories and discover how we can better use DAOs and hopefully improve the world we live in. Joining me today is Alex Salnikov, the Chief Strategy Officer and Co-Founder of Rarible, a community-centric NFT marketplace protocol and aggregator. Alex is a blockchain trailblazer and an active developer in crypto since 2012. On the episode, we will discuss Rarible's new DAO, potential pitfalls to avoid when starting a DAO, and the relationship between NFTs, blockchain, and the metaverse. Hey, Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. That is awesome. You are in New York, right? I'm in New York in our Williamsburg office in the famous brass factory where we're home to a lot of free startups and funds and infrastructure, a lot of things. That's a real community. We enjoy it. It's a creative building, so to say. Absolutely amazing. Great. How long have you lived in New York now? How long have you been there? I just moved this year. Wow. And before that? And before that, I was living in Moscow. Wow. Okay. Good time to move, I say. So, Alex, you're obviously co-founder of Rarible. You guys just launched Rarible 2. You launched the token. You launched the DAO. What's the big thing about it? Why should anyone care? Why should everyone care? It is the major upgrade of our platform. So... If you remember, Rarible started as the art trading platform. And we expanded to everything trading platform, but the liquidity for PFP projects are relatively low on Rarible. That's why we've made the major rebound of the system and turned Rarible into an aggregator that allows you to buy any PFP project out of any major marketplaces. So the Rarible is now really feasible to trade PFPs and it has a great UI and UX to do that. It has our own order book, which is just by far better than other order books with the token program. We'll just talk about it. And in general, Rarible to its aggregator plus token. Uh, We've seen aggregators, we've seen tokens. We haven't seen aggregator with the token yet. It's an amazing way to trade your favorite items. So does this actually mean that Rarible is really fundamentally changing, so to speak, its business model from being a marketplace to being an aggregator? Or is it going to coexist? Or what is the change in the business dynamics for you guys? You're absolutely fair to ask that question. These two business models will coexist. We do not monetize the aggregated orders, aggregated liquidity, you come to Rarible, you buy an item from OpenSea, LuxRare, X2, Y2, or Sudaswap, and you don't pay any extra fees, and you can combine multiple items in the same cart and purchase them all together, and that's all like for free, and you're even saving on gas a little bit. But there is a Rarible order book, you can list on Rarible with the better fees than in other marketplaces, and to earn rewards when you use the marketplace part of the of Rarible. So it's the it's not like it's like aggregated marketplace as we call it. It has other liquidity, but it has our own liquidity. And our own liquidity just comes with better terms. Very good. Understood. 
And since the launch 10 days ago, what have you seen so far? How are people using it? Have the user dynamics changed? What are your analytics and what are the results saying so far? We're seeing like three to six acts of just daily GMV. And many of that is done in the collections uh, that are part of the rewards program. But even outside of that, it is like more or less two acts of the increase. Got it. The other two things, there's obviously changes. I know that you guys launched a foundation around it. I know that you launched a token and you built a DAO. One could say, well, you know, one thing is to change, you know, or extend the model from Rarible to Rarible 2 into the aggregator model. What is the role of all these other components? You know, talk, talk us through it. So what's the importance about creating foundation? Why do you need a token now or not? And why do you now need a DAO to, in this context? What's the idea behind it? Okay, let me try to frame the whole picture. If we would take at everything that existed variable today, we would see the base layer, the lowest piece of the pie. It is the variable protocol. The variable protocol, it is the, if you imagine Uniswap, you would have a fairly similar mental model. There is an on-chain layer, the smart contract that actually changes the items, the exchange contract. But with the NFT, that's not enough. You need an indexer that can tell you, oh, what are my NFT at all that I can sell? What are the NFTs that are on sale currently? What are the NFTs that got sold? What is the activity? What is the provenance? What is the provenance and activity on other marketplaces? What are other items on other marketplaces that are sold? So all that is combined, we call it infrastructure layer. All of that is combined with the product, variable protocol, and this product is open source. It is built by all the DeFi principles that we know. Open source, free, resilient. You can run it as your own node. If you need an NFC API, you can just like copy the source code, run it on your own server, and you'll have an NFT API. And the token is the integral part of this foundational layer that incentivizes the usage of the order book. So it is the token that grows the order book of this protocol. And on top of this protocol, there is multiple marketplaces. One of them is variable marketplace. There is a thousand more marketplaces on top of that protocol, actually. 10 of them are launched by Rarible and our Rarible partners together. 900 of them are launched by the Shopify tool that can generate your marketplace. So again, it's a big foundational layer that is decentralized, token-powered, foundation-controlled. And there is a front-end layer on top of that, which is like Rarible Inc. is doing. So that's everything that we have currently now. And it all started more or less like blended together. You can't really understand what's going on, what's where. We are gradually separating that and crystallizing the vision for everything. So before that, the, found, the protocol, there wasn't even a foundation created. The token was more or less like just control the team. So now the last year, there was a, a, the first experimental DAO that we launched and this is the second DAO that we launched now proper, separate company, separate entity, foundation, fully controlled by token holders, on-chain governed by on-chain just voting, on-chain treasury, fully independent. And this structure 
is the one that launched incentives that coincided with variable to launch. So now it's two separate entities. One of them controls the token and the idea is to make it all like resilient. You say why token, right? The token makes everything more reliable in the sense of it's an open source token governed product. So if you're a big company or if you're a new project and you want to start building, what choice do you have? You, you have a choice to use an API of, the, of some company and th that is closed, that will charge you, that can close you, that can cut you off, or you can pick an open source protocol, which is like based on these principles that we now token, decentralized system, decentralized network. Thinking about other entrepreneurs and builders that are building stuff in Web3, when you started, did you actually have a vision of this separated elements or where did you start? Did you start with, hey, you know, there's an unsolved problem and let's try to solve that and then figure it out later? Run, run us through the kind of like the origins of the project and how you looked at the product and the protocol back then. And, you know, what changed over time that you learned that led to these changes? First of all, when we started, we started as the tool that allows you to create NFTs. There was just like no NFTs. There was a, a concept of NFT, but there was no assets. And then we've got popular as a crypto art community. And then we looked at taking the look to, uh, at the market and what we saw is the market is going to grow a lot. That's the understanding. And the platforms, the marketplaces, the central hubs of the space are not going to remain the same. They are going to be unbundled into different categories, different verticals, different vertical directions. So there is going to be a thousand of separate vertical marketplaces that are going to trade everything in the future. And to power that vision, we wanted to create an infrastructure product that would allow everybody to create their own marketplace and not to put two years of effort into that, how we did when we were creating the marketplace. That's the vision behind the protocol. Can you talk a little bit more about what do you see the role of the DAO for Rarible as the Rarible DAO today? Because it's fairly new and you said it's already the second version. So what was the first version? What's the second version doing? But what do you see as the long-term vision of what the DAO is going to do here? So the first version of the DAO, it was called an adoption DAO. It was a grants DAO that was helping projects that are adopting the protocol. Like if you if you want to build something on top of the protocol, come to the DAO, get the grant. There was like marketing, biz dev, all of that operations. Turns out running operations as a DAO is extremely hard. That's very inefficient. And so we spent almost a year trying to make that true. And then we understood, okay, we want to run a new iteration of DAO, which will be governance minimized which wouldn't have a big operation body that would have a very small team, barely like handling Discord and community calls. And that this DAO, this mandate of the DAO would be to grow the infrastructure, to grow the protocol, but not in a way of, oh, we're doing grants to people, but in a way that we wanted to run algorithms and processes that 
are going to improve the adoption of the protocol. So to say like incentives. So there is an incentive program, fairly extensive incentive program, and it needs to be tuned. There is a multiple, there is maybe 50 parameters of that incentive program. How do we want this incentive program to work? So it, there is like inflation, there is, there is deflation. All of that, it needs to be governed by the body to make sure that this is actually fair, that there wouldn't be, oh, some whales inflated everybody out, out of the borders. So it, it is done to bring the transparency and resilience to the infrastructure space. In practical terms, because you already kind of pointed to that, how's the DAO operation now working and where do you see this heading? It is just bootstrapping now. So it's a very early days of variable DAO, of Rary DAO. Rare Foundation that is just launched two weeks ago, basically. So it is structured in a way that there is a Discord, there is a governance forum, there are community calls, and there is on-chain governor, open Zeppelin governor that fully controls the token, that fully controls the community treasury of the uh, remaining undistributed rare supply. And anybody can come up and put up a proposal for how are we distributing that. And this is all governed by the rarity token holders, but it is governed not by people who just hold, but also by people who commit. So in order to vote in proposals, you need to lock your rarity for the specific time to show your long-term commitment to the system, to the project. The goal of the DAO is to make the the infrastructure really big and wide and everybody to use it and achieving that not by hiring 100 people to the DAO team, but by putting out an algorithm like liquidity mining, like governance mining, like delegation program, a very robust automated algorithms that will make this vision to come through. In these iterations, you know, from, as you said, you had a DAO before, this is the second version. You might have a third version, who knows, right? It can keep on evolving. Looking at it from a general perspective, what are the three things that you think are important that work? And what are the three things that anyone who's thinking about decentralizing into a DAO should avoid? Really great question. Let's try to unpack that. I guess the first thing that was done good is launch a DAO really fast when people needed that, when that was important in the market, when there was like market, good market conditions, it was just hyped. That was a good thing. The bad thing that came was that we were unprepared to run the DAO in the independent manner. So there was a lot of control by the team. And we thought that's a good thing in terms of that the team would be able to guide the participants. But in reality, the team was just not able to keep up with the amount of things that this community produced. And was just a gatekeeper and the bottleneck of the system. Not the guiding power, but the real bottleneck that made everything slower. That was a big learning for us. And well, that's not cool everybody who was deeply interested into doing something and didn't get the proper timely answer left. That wasn't right. 
So we made the second iteration of the DAO, which is fairly unconstrained. Anybody can do anything. We gave a certain power to the community, but we didn't guide the community. What are the mandate of the DAO? So somebody said, oh, we should do investments, right? Now our idea is to grow the DAO. Okay, that would be our way to grow DAO. Let's make investments to the projects completely unrelated to the infrastructure, completely unrelated to the protocol, the, just the projects that we like. We'll give them money and they'll give us money back. Let's do the token swaps. Somebody said, I'm doing this project for the greater good. Let me do a grant. Somebody said, oh, I'm adopting the protocol. Let me get a grant. And community started to vote yes to everything because everything sounded like a good idea in theory. There wasn't like prioritization happening. There was just a lot of unconstrained, unstructured activity. At some point, the DAO had like 50 people doing something and like spending a lot of money. So that was not a great thing. A great thing that was it was more open now, there was more activity. But the bad thing that you wouldn't want to do was to not have the vision, constitution, guiding values, any guidance of what the DAO is for and what we want to achieve and how at least what are the principles by which we're achieving that. I see. So in this iteration of like, you know, more of a on-chain company structure where you guys produced a bottleneck for the community, you moved to something that was kind of the opposite where you go like, oh, everyone can do whatever they want, which became unstructured and chaotic and unproductive, right? And so the next logical step obviously was how do you bring the two things together? How do you bring some kind of structure, but maintain freedom and agility to make it community driven would that be the, the the way to look at it yeah very good very good what are the steps that you say to somebody that would do this today first you need a goal you need to align people behind the goal because DAO is the novel concept and oftentimes when people build a DAO the goal becomes to build a DAO but if we translate that to the previous terms, it becomes, let's build a company. But it's not like building a company, it's not a goal. It doesn't give you any guidance of why are we here. You usually say, oh, let's build a car and we'll start a company to do that. So you need a goal of, of your DAO. And then you need some guiding values on how to achieve that. So we set our guiding values to be the governance minimization, to not blow the supply, not to blow the like people working in that org, to only grow the DAO through making the infrastructure better and then capturing value from that infrastructure. So there is a clear boundary. We're not doing investments into other projects. We're not doing pro bono projects just to enlarge the space. We're not hitting the universe. Our goal is to grow the infrastructure, a variable protocol, particularly today. There might be a vote to add the second project to our infrastructure, but so far we only work on one infrastructure product. We're growing that product and we're capturing value back from that product. And that's our way to grow the, the DAO. So that is enough of the guiding values and then on chain, we have a fairly high threshold that you need to have 
like 5,000 V rare tokens, which is more or less like $10,000 to, in today's prices to e even submit the proposal. And then we have a committed set of people that will be voting. It's not like everybody would vote, but only committed people. And the quorum is also high, pretty high as well, so that there is a certain just like technical filter for the proposals to come through. The next thing that we are going to do is we're going to assemble the delegation board of people who again are very targeted to do certain work and we're going to implement the DAO budget. So this is all necessary. Previous DAO, we had this question like, oh, let's spend $300,000 on marketing, on this particular marketing activities to this hackathon. And outside with the vote, it is very hard to tell if that's a good amount of money or not. Well, that's a great hackathon. That's the best hackathon in town. Are we ready to spend X money on that? We didn't know. But if we say, oh, there is a goal of the DAO, there is a constitution, there is a yearly budget, and that yearly budget says that there is a total of $100,000 on marketing, then you have a certain guidance now to understand, like, yeah, you can even do that with the current budget. So you want to start very high level and you want to draw the boundaries of what you can't really do and you want to incentivize and be completely open in the activity that you can do inside those boundaries so who does budget allocation like is that community driven or is this you know kind of like imposing the rules or how do you decide on budgets it's all still decided by the community but it is decided in a recursive way. So at first you decide on the big question and then you decide on the small and not the other way around. So it's not that, oh, there is a specific team that decides the budget. It's still the community decides the budget. But when community decides the budget, you're incentivized to think about like, oh, okay, how long do we want to sustain the organization? Oh, we want to have multi-year runway for the organization. Oh, we want to spend this amount of, of money this year. Okay, this means that this is what we have. Okay, what are our priorities? Development, marketing incentives. Okay, 50% goes to incentives, 10% goes to marketing, 20% goes to development. And if you do that in the right order, you're not skipping to the last point when you try to optimize and try to decide whether we're spending $200,000 on the marketing activation without thinking like this high-level question first. And the funding for the DAO, where does it come from today and where will it come from tomorrow? How does that work? Every undistributed Prairie token was transferred to the Prairie Foundation and the foundation from now on manages all the undistributed supply, which is more or less 40% of the network. So this is the sole source of, of the funding and there's like no any other sources and foundation fully controls that source. So it is the, the treasury of the foundation and it is under, under full control of the token holders. So when you guys went out and designed this, you know, DAO structure and it goes hand in hand with your token, obviously, 
what other DAOs that are currently operating or that have operated, what did you look at and, you know, what were you inspired by where you said, hey, you know, these guys are doing this and we really like that about it and we're going to adopt this and these other guys are doing this thing, which we really like. What were the, you know, the inspirations for you guys that, you know, where you drew, you know, examples from and guidance? ApeCoin DAO. They were very clear in articulation, the idea, the guiding values, the motivation, the governance process, all that very clear, very straightforward. If you'll go to the website, you will understand how to submit a proposal instantly. What we didn't like about that, that the votes are done on the snapshot and there is a governance board that is gatekeeping even the forum. So that didn't sound right to us. That's why we combined the on-chain part. And on-chain DAOs that are quite famous as of today would be Gitcoin and ENS. Those are great in that regard. We use Tally as the on-chain interface, the, the interface for on-chain governance. And we use the Open Zeppelin Governor. We developed the vote escrow locking contract ourselves which is the inspiration from the curve DAO. Very good. Good inspiration. From your vantage point, you know, being deeply involved in the space, what are the NFT use cases that you personally are most excited about? What is the stuff that you've seen over the last few weeks and months that you looked at and went like, wow, there's somebody doing something that I hadn't even thought about, or somebody's doing something I always thought somebody should do and they actually did it. What gets you excited these days, not about your own product and protocol, but about what's happening in the NFT space in general? That's a great question. I've been thinking a lot about it, especially during the bear market, when we stop seeing the flash of things that get sold 10, 10x the next day. So I have this following framework. The NFTs are pretty much about to become the e-commerce of the metaverse. It is pretty direct alternative to the physical item. You have a physical item in the physical world, and now you have all the same, but digital. And we started with art, which is the most simple item because it doesn't do anything. It just is. And there is just a picture uploaded on chain. And in that sense, it is almost like one dimensional in terms of the operational complexity. It is beautiful. It is very deep in thoughts, but in, in technical terms, it is a picture uploaded to blockchain. So what we've seen next is we've seen a little bit of the increase of that depth with the PFPs. PFPs are randomly generated. They got revealed after they started. You can put them on the avatar. There is a Twitter integration that you can connect the wallet and put in on the avatar and somebody would be able to check if you have that NFT in real life or not. So that increases the complexity. And I think what are the most cool things, there is a million use cases that are complex. So in this optimized way of being something simple, but being cool, I like the doodles too, which is they release the boxes that are going to have variables 
inside these boxes and you can attach these wearables to your doodle nft so this nft can wear certain things and then you can use that avatar as your metaverse avatar very interesting you know just connecting to that what are the most promising things happening in the metaverse space from your perspective a lot of people understand metaverse as this i'll have a vr glasses i'll wear them and i'll go interact with other people as they do in real life and that will be metaverse i think that we live in the metaverse today i think the structure of the metaverse today is somebody said to me that oh metaverse is just the rebranding of the internet internet is old and not cool and the metaverse is near as cool but we spend so much time online making that metaverse interoperable and free with blockchain is great i love it i i, I live online all my life since the fifth grade when i first got a computer and like i was struggling with the things that are not mine the things that i can't accept money online because i'm i'm too young and, and now we have the metaverse that like oh i can truly own and and don't care about like what anybody thinks and the meta is doing good too i i have a meta quest at the office i play ping pong and it feels very real to play ping pong in vr the physics are absolutely the same you you move your hands and you can't really sometimes you can't really tell that it is not real so that still has a lot of potential very diverse i see your perspective there how do you look at this relationship between nfts and blockchains especially when you get out of the kind of like hardcore center like art market you know that of people that are already a long time and very early in the space and that trade art specifically but when you start looking at this you know nft towards merchandise and all of these other use cases that are beyond art how do you see it how do you look at the different chains variable is on six chains today we support a lot of them and we had a multi-chain vision for 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 over a year now mm. we're seeing more and more bridges to come to the space so in future we are definitely having multiple chains connected with bridges and abstracted away from the user for sure that will happen with evm chains we'll have optimism arbitrum polygon ethereum to all of that immutable x evm chains that use the same address space that use the same wallet well, currently if you want to transfer between ethereum and solana you need to have a solana wallet and ethereum wallet and you need to sign on both ends. That's not so advanced. So at first that happens with the EVM chains, and then we'll see, maybe EVM will become a standard at that point, or maybe we'll see more chains to catch up. Just the amount of funding down to alternative layer ones suggests that tremendous number of very bright people will spend time on building that future. So the future is multi-chain. When you look at it from an NFT perspective, you expect most of the chains to be around. Do you think it's going to evenly spread out? There's going to be more chains, or do you see it you know, rather reducing and you know, centralizing somewhere? Just currently, I would bet on EVMs. 
on layer tools such as like CK Sync, Arbitrum, and Optimism. If you if you make a decision today, take a look at that. And if you're making a decision tomorrow in two years, there is gonna be a big question like what is the place that these new chains are going to take? Like Aptos, Celestia, these chains that promise us extremely fast execution, but we haven't seen the good use case for that yet. Last question, picking a brain, um, you know, I'm helping to co-produce a movie um, from like a street band in Malawi. One of the ideas was to leverage NFTs to help fundraise for the movie, but do something interesting in it in terms of in community engagement. Any good ideas or models that you have seen? Yeah, unfortunately, we've seen quite a low penetration of this public good NFTs, fundraising NFTs, and those things. If I would just try to take something from the top of my head, I would say do the characters NFT that can still be used as the PFP and then make sure that they are featured in the film after. But I'm not sure that's a good, a great idea. It, it's just something that comes first to the market. I've seen a lot of people try to say, okay, we're selling this hundred NFTs to fund, raise the film, and they just don't sell. Exactly. Very good. Alex, I very much appreciate the time. I learned a lot in this talk, you know, about NFTs and your vision on it. I also found very interesting to see hands-on, you know, because it's very fresh how you guys have been moving towards decentralization and building a DAO. So thank you very much for your time here. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for inviting me over. Uh, that's a great conversation. Not standard, not the list of the questions that our guests get asked every time. I love it. Thank you so much. DAO Talks is brought to you by Grindery. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing to DAO Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other platform you fancy. To find out more about Grindery, visit grindery.io. Thanks for joining me, Tim out. Thank you.